Cafe, good morning. Those, for some of us older folks, those are emojis. So, so find somebody, your college age or younger, sitting next to you, and they can tell you what all those mean. Hey, um, will you do me a favor? Will you stand as we read from God's Word this morning? The verses that we're going to look at today are from 2 Samuel, verses 16, uh, excuse me, chapter 16, verses 5 through 14. When King David came to Behurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai, the son of Gerah. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and the mighty men who were on his right hand and on his left. And Shammai said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I, what I, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse? For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shammai went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. And there he refreshed himself. Father, we thank you for this, this story from David's life, God, this truth. We thank you that it's an experience of David's that became some inner turmoil for him. And Lord, we thank you that he recorded how he dealt with that inner turmoil so that we today could follow those same steps and bring all before you that's happening inside us. And we ask that in Jesus' name that you would go before us and hold us close and reveal to us what it is you would like us to see within ourselves and teach us how to deal with those things in you through Christ. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. So we're kicking off a new series this morning. It's called Inside Out. And, and over the next four weeks, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at some of the Psalms that David wrote, but we're gonna look at them in the context of the, the events that inspired him to write these songs. So we'll be exploring some historical passages in, in uh, 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles and simultaneously delve into the inner experience of David that he's given us through the Psalms he wrote around those events. So, so Psalms are generally an emotional experience that the writer has as he seeks God in his everyday life. Basically, the Psalms are about this person having an experience with God or an experience of life that they know they need God in and sitting down and writing a song around that experience. And, and so God's always in our circumstances. And he is working in our circumstances to transform us and to redeem our emotions. Now, I don't think we appreciate the fact that in Jesus' life, 
as a perfect person, as the perfect human being, not only was he perfect in his deeds and his desires and in his actions and in his words, but also in his emotions. There was no sin in Jesus' emotions. And so I want to read you a quote from a book called Feelings and Faith. It's by a guy named Brian Borgman. And he kind of expresses really well what it means to live into redeemed emotions, to have redeemed emotions. And so listen to this. God tells us how and what we should and should not feel. Our emotions are a part of our humanity, listen to this, that needs to be sanctified and brought under the authority of God's word and into conformity with God's word. And so my intention, by looking at both the historical events of David's life and, and then his poetic and emotional writings around those events, is that we would gain some insight into what it actually means to have our emotions brought under the authority of God's word, to have them conformed to God's word. And then what that does, it frees us, as that happens, to live from the inside out. Most of us tend to live from the outside in. And what I mean by that is what happens, what's going on out here, tends to determine my inner response, my emotional response. But this is the exact opposite of that. When we live out of redeemed emotions, the redeemed emotions in us guide our life outward. So we're no longer under the control of those emotions, we're actually living a life that has our emotions, our feelings under the control of the Holy Spirit. They're conformed to God's word and we live out differently. And what that does is it frees us to live the very life that Jesus lived instead of living the life of our emotions. And so what happens is living inside out means freedom. As we live inside out, we find freedom. And so if you remember last Sunday, we talked about Psalm 24, and I told you that in general, the Psalms are kind of written in a three-part structure, right? There's a, the section of remember, there's a section of rest, and there's a section of joy. And so I want you to keep that structure in mind over these next four weeks as we walk through these Psalms of David and look at the emotional experience of his life from certain events that happened to him. And so we're going to see that three-part structure applied deeply to our emotions. And now here's the thing. We are all emotional beings, some of us more so than others, but we are all emotional beings. We act on our emotions constantly. We are always responding to the emotions in us in terms of things that are happening out here. And I know every one of us at some point or another has been told to control our emotions, haven't you? Hopefully it wasn't in your marriage. Guys, I recommend that the last thing you ever tell your wife is don't be so emotional. And many of us as men have heard at different times in our lives, no, you can't cry. And so what happens is we live in an environment where outside forces are constantly trying to dictate our inner emotional space. And, and I think that comes from two myths that we have around emotions. And this, I think these are myths that transcend culture. I don't think this is just something here in our culture, in Western culture. I think it's around the globe. And here's what those two myths are. The first myth is that others are responsible for my emotions. We've all believed that. 
every one of us at some point has said, well, you made me feel, and then fill in the blank. And so that's the first myth that we have to recognize is, is present in us. The second myth is actually a product of that first myth, that I am responsible for others' emotions. And so here's the deal. If I believe that you're responsible for my emotions, then it makes perfect sense that I'm responsible for yours, right? So someone comes in, they're not happy, we immediately go into emotional management mode. How can I do something or act in a way that will make you happy? And when I'm unhappy, then it's your job to do something or act in a way that makes me happy. But here's the bottom line. These two myths, when you put them together, leave us at this spot. I am not responsible for my emotions. And so, because I'm not responsible, then I don't need God to deal with my emotions. And so we as Christians have a tendency to walk through life, we want our behavior redeemed and refined, we want our attitudes redeemed and refined. We want our thoughts redeemed and refined. We want our words to be redeemed and refined. But we still live in our pre-salvation emotional state. And it interrupts our walk with Jesus. And so that's what we need to understand as we press into this. And so we have to invite Jesus into sanctifying our emotions and conforming them to God's will. I can't conform my emotions to God's will, to God's word. But we also need to understand this truth. Emotions are very real. We are not talking about things that don't exist as if there's some ghost. Emotions are very real, but they're not necessarily reality. Here's what I mean by that. When I feel attacked, for example, that feeling is very real but I may or may not actually be under attack. I may or may not actually be being assaulted by the words of another. The feeling is real, but that feeling doesn't say this is reality per se. Oftentimes we have feelings that we think are the product of reality when that's not the case. So you're walking down the street, you see someone, they don't see you, they don't say hello, you've known them all your life, and then the reality becomes they don't like me, they're mad at me. That's the feeling. But the reality may actually be that like most of us, when we're alone walking down the street, we're staring at our phones. <laughs> I didn't see you. Just because you saw me doesn't mean that I saw you. And so maybe I'm not angry at all, maybe I'm distracted. Or maybe I'm lost in thought. Or, or maybe I'm in a hurry. So, so that's what I mean by emotions are real, but they're not reality. I feel dismissed and disregarded by you, but that may not be the reality. Now, the other side of that is it very well may be. You may be angry at me, and you may have done all you could do to avoid saying hello to me. But the emotion is what we have to deal with, not, not what's happening outside. And so here's what I want. I want us as followers of Jesus who are unable to fully live out of our salvation here and now because our emotions are not redeemed to begin to walk into that process of our emotions being redeemed and sanctified and conformed to the word of God. I want us to understand that the life ruled by sanctified, unsanctified emotions is no life at all. And we don't have to live it. 
Because when we live out of unsanctified emotions, it puts us at odds with others based on what we feel. And so the redeeming of our emotions happens by the same power as the redeeming of our souls, the Holy Spirit. Here's a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. The moment the Holy Spirit enters in, he controls everything, including temperament. And you can hear emotions in that. And so he enables you to function in your own particular way through your temperament. That is the miracle of redemption. Temperament remains, but temperament no longer controls. The Holy Spirit's in control. So we apply this truth to our inner emotional state. And that's what happens when our emotions become redeemed. We are no longer a people driven by our interior feelings. We're not controlled by that anymore. We're controlled by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Our emotions don't disappear. We don't become emotionless robots. But rather, we become people who are no longer under the control of our emotions. Our actions are no longer determined by what we feel. Actually determined by the Holy Spirit. And so... I can tell you this personally as someone who spent years and years and years being governed by my emotions, being ruled by them, I needed this redemption of emotions so that I could become a follower of Jesus who could begin to find the abundant life he offers, who could begin to become a witness of Jesus who actually had integrity instead of just someone speaking words. And I could find the true beauty of unity in the body of Christ and in all my relationships because my emotions were being redeemed. And so today, as we start this series with Psalm 7 and 2 Samuel 16, I I think what you're gonna see is that we can find freedom even when we feel attacked. Now, I'm not saying that feeling attacked doesn't elicit, that it elicits the same emotion in all of us, it doesn't. It elicits different emotions. It can be anything from anger to resentment to bitterness to fear to rejection to disregard. And there's probably many, many more emotions that we feel when we think we're being attacked. And as we look at this event in David's life and his response, I want you to know that David's response is relevant no matter what emotion you might feel. When you are being attacked and you feel whatever you feel, David's response is relevant as a roadmap for us to take that emotion before God and let him conform it. And I also want to point out that whether we're actually being attacked or we're being justifiably criticized, David's response is still the best response. So there's no difference oftentimes in the way we feel, whether it's an attack or justifiable criticism. But this response is still the best response. And in the response that David had to the attacks of Shammai, what you're going to find is that he was free to not live out of a destructive response to Shammai. He did not have to attack back because of the way he walked into this. So remember, Psalm 7 follows that three-part structure that, that the other Psalms follow. Remember and rest and joy. And interestingly, those three uh, parts of that structure are the very same steps that we need to take to deal with feeling attacked, to press towards God. These steps will place our emotions, whatever they may be in the moment, before God and allow the Holy Spirit to do a redemptive work 
in the very place of what we feel. And so I want to give you a little backstory here about 2 Samuel 16. So David, as Shammai said, David's taking the throne of Saul, and, and David's son Absalom is now rebelling against David. He's coming into Jerusalem to, to overthrow his father and take the throne for himself. And David's running out of Jerusalem trying to get away from Absalom. He's got his army with him. And on the way out of town, they encounter Shammai, who's a relative of Saul. And Shammai starts cursing David and throwing rocks at him. And Shammai, this, the, I have this picture in my head when I read 2 Samuel 16 of this guy who's a little bit wild and out there, you know, standing on the ridges, yelling and screaming at the king and throwing rocks. And it just, it strikes me as a little funny that, that God told Shammai, look, David needs to know what he's done wrong here. And you notice God's mercy in that, Right? Here's a crazy old guy on a ridge with rocks. And that's the one God said, hey, David has, has done wrong here. He needs to know it. He didn't send a king with an army to kill David, to destroy David, to overrun David. And can I just say that sometimes when people come at us and point out things that we've done, it's not always destructive. Sometimes it is God saying, I need this person to know this. And the person he sends is actually an act of grace. And so if we can remember that, before we dive into how do I deal with feeling attacked, we will respond in a way that takes that emotion, that feeling to God. And so we need to look at verse one in Psalm seven. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Do you see what David did there? He chose to remember God when he was feeling attacked by Shammai. He remembers that God is his refuge. Now look at 2 Samuel uh, 16, verse 11. And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. See, David knows God is his refuge, and he remembers that, and he invites God to control his response instead of his emotions controlling his response. Because if David had been controlled by his emotions, he certainly would have told Abishai, yes, go get his head for me and bring it back. And he didn't. He told Abishai to stand down. Because here's what happens. When our emotions control us, we will do whatever it takes to eliminate the source of the painful emotion. And David pressed against that. He went in another direction. Think about that. How many of the broken relationships in your life, how many of your fights and sorrows have come into your life because your emotions were in control in a moment instead of God? Most of the brokenness in our relationships is a result of responding from our emotions because we feel hurt instead of going to God with that. See, here's what David remembered. He remembered that God is his refuge, not Abishai or any other person. Now, this is where we get the biblical exhortation not to gossip. Because if someone hurts me and I go and share it with everyone else, who am I looking to to be my refuge? Everyone I gossip to instead of God. And so we have to remember that God is our refuge. That's the first verse in Psalm 7. And here's the question you need to ask yourself when you feel attacked. Who is my refuge? 
Am I going to friends? Am I going to others? Am I taking my refuge in God? Am I trying to be my own refuge? Am I, am I deciding that I'm gonna overcome this and be my own refuge by going into justification or denial? Am I going to social media and I'll be my refuge by attacking the person who I think's attacking me? Or am I just going to God and saying, God, I need you to be my refuge? But that wasn't the only thing David remembered about God. Look at verse two in Psalm seven. Lest like a lion, they tear my soul apart. Tear his soul apart. David remembered that it was his soul that was at stake. Not his reputation, not his ego, not his image, not even his throne. Which meant that he had to deal with his own soul, not Shammai's words. That's a very different response than we tend to feel when we have some intense emotion in us. And so here's the next question that you need to ask yourself when you feel attacked. What is really at stake here? Because if you recognize that your soul is at stake when you're feeling attacked, then that attack itself, the emotion itself, becomes an invitation into your refuge, God. Instead of an invitation to respond in this world and reduce the emotional pain. Instead of an invitation to engage in a destructive battle that's gonna break the relationship permanently. And that's the remember part of Psalm 7. The remember section of Psalm 7 is in verse one and two. And so now we need to go to the rest part. And I'm gonna tell you straight up front, what I'm about to say is counterintuitive. But the rest we find that David found in his, his response to Shammai starts in verse three. Listen to this. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, the word if is part of David's response. See, David didn't only remember God as his refuge and then simply ignore what was being said and dismiss and reject Shammai's words. And he certainly didn't go into fighting back. He went to God and he examined himself. He examined himself in his refuge, God. See that word if? It's an invitation to go to God and say to God, you reveal me to me. I don't know me well enough to reveal me to me, but you do. Reveal me to me. Now here's why there's rest in this approach to God. Because I don't think it sounds very restful to say, God, I'm gonna come to you and let you examine my heart and my soul. None of us can stand in that. But here's where the rest comes. By allowing God to examine your heart and your mind, it's way more restful than defending yourself. Anybody ever walked in defensiveness? It's exhausting. When we decide I have to defend me at all costs, we wear ourselves out. And most of us have never been taught when we feel like we have something coming against us to go to God and say, God, will you examine me? I'm gonna place myself before you. And, and, and one of the ways we learn that is our upcoming weekend with Bill and Christy Galtier, who, who will be here to walk us through Journey of the Soul. One of the ways we learn that is to, to attend a study like Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Women. One of the ways we learn that is to connect with another person who we give the right to be the voice of God to us in our brokenness 
and say, hey, let me tell you what happened. This is what I felt about it. Will you just bring me before the Holy Spirit? Will you walk with me in this? Because when we examine our emotions in isolation, we always justify our emotions. But when we examine them in the presence of another person or before God, we get that uncomfortable little stab sometimes that says, hey, I gotta face this in a different way. And what's the difference between examining them in isolation and in the presence of another and before God? Well, it's simply recognizing what's at stake. If I know my soul's at stake, I go before God. I bring in a brother in Christ to help me examine myself. But if I think what's at stake is my reputation or my ego or my feelings, then I examine myself before the mirror because I know the voice in the mirror will tell me exactly what I wanna hear. And I can justify myself and I can go in denial. So here's what happens. Rest comes by allowing God to examine us when we feel attacked. And exhaustion comes when I decide to defend myself, when I decide to fight back. And so that's the rest section, and it concludes in verses six and seven in Psalm seven. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. Now words like arise and anger and, and judgment don't seem to imply rest, do they? They seem to imply, man, I gotta get on, I gotta get on this treadmill and, and make sure that God doesn't have anything against me. But here's how the rest happens in that. The rest happens when the first thing I do is take the feeling to God and let him examine me. But the second thing that I do that brings rest is I leave the attacking words with God and let him judge them instead of judging them myself. And that second step means that I go to God and say, this is what's happening, this is how I feel, and now I'm gonna lay down, I'm gonna push off my perceived right to defend myself, to attack back, to challenge, or to judge the other person. That's easy stuff, right? Not so much. It's very simple, but it's not easy. Because to do that, we have to let go of ourselves. And so the next question to ask yourself when you feel attacked is this, am I going to God to examine me, or am I going to the attack to examine me. And here's why this is important. Because if you reject the feeling of being attacked without going to God, you will not grow. And if you accept the attacks as fact without going to God, you will not value yourself the way God does. It's two sides of the same coin. We have to see ourselves the way God sees us. We have to have a certain sense of value of ourselves to God which will not come if I just simply decide that whatever everyone else says about me is true without examining it before God. But I'm also not gonna grow if I just reject all those things people say. And so now we go into the joy section having found rest in God examining us and us receiving that examination and asking ourselves tough questions. And so here's where the joy section of Psalm 7 begins. It starts in verse 8 and it goes on to verse 17. Now I'm gonna, I just wanna tell you up front, if you read these verses in kind of a disconnected way, you're not gonna find joy. But we have to read them with the overarching theme. And so listen to this in verse 8. God judges the people and God invites God to judge 
or, or David invites God to judge him as well. So David in verse eight says, God, I know you judge people and I'm gonna ask you to judge me too. And then David acknowledges that because of God's righteous judgment, that wickedness and evil will one day come to an end. So David knows that that that's coming, that that's a product of God's righteous judgment. And he also knows that if we don't repent of our wickedness, that judgment will fall on us. That if we don't repent, we will fall into the very pit that we've dug and that we will bring vengeance down on our own heads that we desire to bring down on others. And so, so David knows that. And now here's the joy. I can take joy in the fact that God as my refuge and my judge means that I have the opportunity to repent of my evil. That's where the joy is at. So no matter what I've done to this point, with God as righteous judge, instead of me as judge of your words and my feelings, I have the opportunity to repent. And I also have the freedom to allow God to invite the other person into repentance to invite the one who's attacking me into repentance. And that's joy. To know that I don't have to judge others or myself, that God will do that. My job then is to take who I am and what's happening inside me before God and invite him to judge me, to speak to me. And then this joy culminates in verse 17. He says this, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. God is righteous, which means he will reveal to me what I must repent of if I seek to rest in his examination of me. And he will deal with the other person by inviting them into repentance. And that's how relationships get restored when we feel as though we're being attacked. It doesn't come by fighting back and proving to the other person how wrong they are. It doesn't come by ignoring the attacks and acting as if they never happened. It comes by going before God, knowing he is going to invite me into repentance because he's righteous, and he's going to invite the other person into repentance. So the joy is simply that God is righteous. The joy of Psalm 7 that David found was God's righteousness. And so here's the question we need to ask ourselves to find the joy of Psalm 7 when we feel attacked. Am I trying to find joy in my righteousness or God's righteousness? Because oftentimes when we feel attacked by another person and this emotion stirs up in us, we try to find joy by saying, no, that's not true, I'm better than that. They just don't know me well. Or they're just angry about something else. But they don't know I do all this. They don't know that I serve in clothing drive twice a year. And they don't know that, that I give at the church. And they don't know that I work with homeless people. And they don't know that I'm loving to animals. We'll find whatever we can to dismiss that attack. And that's what it looks like to say, no, I'm gonna find joy in my righteousness in the face of this emotion. And David's response to his feeling attacked by Shammai was to remember that God is his refuge, not Abishai, not his army, not anybody else. They could have taken the head off Shammai in a moment. And David said, no, you're not my refuge, God is. And then he found rest 
in examining himself before God, placing himself before God and saying, God, you search me. You look at me. My soul is at stake here. Not my ego, not my reputation, not my image, not even my throne. What's at stake here is my soul. And then he experienced the joy of God's righteousness because he knew that God's righteousness meant that the situation was not David's to handle, that God would handle it. And so just for the sake of clarification, I want to know that I'm not implying that that we're just to ignore or forget the attacks of others. I'm not saying that we just let those go by. We have to do real relational work to restore situations when we feel attacked. But that work comes after we do the work of taking our emotions before God and saying, God, I feel attacked and I'm angry at this person. Search me, tell me if there's anything in me that I need to deal with. Now, here's what I know from experience. Every time I've done that, God has showed me things that are in me that I need to deal with. And oftentimes I've been like, but wait a minute, this isn't what we're talking about. We're not talking about me here. We're talking about them. Why are you bringing it back to me? And in that is God's invitation of grace and mercy to say, I'm bringing it back to you because I know you're the one who is before me who wants to be changed. The other person may or may not. I don't know. It's not my business. My soul is my business. I must take my soul before God. I also need to bring that brother or sister who I feel is attacking me before God the same way that those friends brought that lame man before Jesus, willing to get my hands dirty by digging through the roof and pray for that person, to lay them before Jesus, to say, Lord, heal them, make them whole, just as you make me whole. And and so we're not saying we just ignore the attacks. Once we go to God and say, God, you're my refuge in this and I need you to redeem and refine my emotions so that I can go and do what Paul said. And as much as it's up to me, live at peace with them. And those relationships get healed and restored. So I'm not saying we ignore the attacks. I'm not even saying we ignore the other person. I'm simply saying we let God as our refuge deal with them as we invite him to deal with us. And he resolves me as he's resolving them. And so what happens on the other side of that resolution? Two people return to restore a relationship, but it's two different people than the the ones that had the problem because we've both been changed and become someone new. Now I need, in the interest of full disclosure, and this is disclosure, this is an instruction. I need to share with you 1 Kings 2, 8 and 9. And these are verses that are from uh, David at the end of David's life as he's commissioning Solomon to be the king. And here's what they say. I'm gonna try to get through this without laughing. And there is also with you Shammai, the son of Gerah. Remember him? It's not good news for Shammai. David remembers him too. Now here David is at the end of his life handling all his business. And there's also with you Shammai, the son of Gerah, the Benjaminite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanim. 
But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Yay, David, you see what David did there? I will not put you to death with the sword. He swore to Shemai he wouldn't do it. And this is where twist comes. Now, therefore, Solomon, you, because I said I won't put him to death by the sword, I need you to not hold him guiltless. For you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. I'm not endorsing that when you have a situation where you feel attacked and you do all these things and you go to God and you say, God, I'm gonna remember you're my refuge. And then you go to God and you rest in his examination of you and then you find joy in his righteousness and then you wait till you're on your deathbed and you grab your kids and you go, hey, remember so-and-so? Well, he's your project now. That's like real deep mafia stuff. That's not God redeeming us. But my point in sharing that with you is to let you know that vengeance is God's, not ours. And here's what I assume about Shammai as a result of David's words in 1 Kings. I think Shammai was probably invited into repentance, repentance over his attacks on God's anointed one. And my guess is maybe he didn't repent. And so that judgment that David is saying, hey, bring down on Shammai's head for what he did to me, isn't necessarily because of what he did to David, but because he didn't repent to God for his own life. And so I say all that to say this. Every one of us in this room needs repentance. Every one of us in this room needs to go to God and say, Lord, I see the things that I've done that I've failed in and recognize that joy that David found that says it's not my righteousness that brings me joy. It's your righteousness and I'm gonna remember that and I'm gonna rest in it and I'm gonna find joy only in that and the fact that you are righteous. And here's the deal. The only way to access that righteousness of God when we have this emotional intensity, when we need transformation is through Jesus. Because he's the only one that can lead us into freedom from our own emotions, not from the attacks, but from our own emotions when we feel attacked by the words of others. Because he's both our righteousness and our healer. What we need is healing in our emotional space. And so I want to invite you into practicing conforming your emotions to the word of God this week. And here's what I mean by that. We have to conform our emotions to the written word of God. We have to. And the way, one of the ways we do that is just to read scripture and meditate on it. So I wanna invite you into reading First Sam, or 2 Samuel 16 and Psalm 7 this week. Don't try to study it. Don't try to memorize it. But just read it and let those words soak in. Let this real life circumstance that we all have day in and day out where someone is going after David in a way that would cause most of us to snap. And then read Psalm 7 and go, okay, but you didn't snap. Let me see how you handled it so that you didn't snap. And here's the other thing I want you to do this week. This is really simple. This is easy. And it's just this. When you feel attacked, or really when you feel any other deep, intense emotion, I want to invite you into asking one question. And it's simply this question. 
what are you inviting me into, Lord? What are you inviting me into? When anger comes and it feels intense, you ask Jesus, what are you inviting me into, Lord? When you feel overwhelmed with sadness, Lord, what are you inviting me into? When there's bitterness or resentment or you remember hurts from the past and these emotions start to well up in you, you ask that simple question, Lord, what are you inviting me into? And then you just give him time and space to let him answer. But that's what it looks like to say, God, I'm gonna come to you as my refuge when I feel intense emotions. And he will always speak to those. And he will always show up. And he will always guide us into healing that allows our inner space to be conformed to his truth, his personhood, and his word. Father, we thank you that that we are emotional creatures. There's so much richness of life that comes through the avenue of emotions. And God, we just ask that, that you would heal us in that place, Lord, just like the rest of our lives. Those emotions that we experience are a product of the fall at this point. And we wanna live an emotional life that's pre-fall, that's rooted in you, that knows that you are our refuge and that we can rest in your examination of us and then we can find joy in the fact that you are righteous and we just placed our trust in your righteousness who is the person of Christ to put that righteousness on us so that we can experience joy and rest in you as our refuge even in intense feelings. And we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.